verse 4. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world. And the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. May God bless the reading of his word. So we continue on from 1 John and we see this common theme about the spirit of truth versus the spirit of falseness. That is, which is right versus that which is wrong. And so John continues on to try to dissect these two for us. To help us see what is good teaching versus what is bad teaching. And so he continues on with verse 4. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Now John continues to call his readers children and little children. It is, and um, it's hard for us to know what exactly, what's causing him to say this to them, whether he is considering them to be his own children or children of God. In either case, it is a heartfelt reminder for these individuals and further encouragement for them to remain in the faith. And so if he were writing to us, I'm sure that he would say the same thing. He'd call us all, no matter what our age is, children. He then reminds his readers that you are from God or of God. In this case, it is in direct opposition of the ones who belong to the Antichrist. Those such spirits and enemies of truth should surround them. Um, They can be encouraged by their continued faithfulness to the gospel message originally presented to them because it implies whom they belong to, and that is God. Because they belong to God, then, it is evident that they have overcome them. Who are they, though? Are they the spirits of the Antichrist? Are they the false teachers who have left the congregation? Is he talking about evil in general? It is likely... All of the above. Especially when we consider all the ramification of the term spirits from the previous section which included all of these different elements. Against such, these individuals have overcome. Or at least have overcome thus far. We should not assume John is unaware of their possible struggle against such evil. Nor should we assume John doesn't believe any of those who hear his words won't stray or slip back into the pit. Instead, it is a recognition that they who have continued in the faith have already overcome simply by being faithful. And they can continue to overcome if they remain faithful. Yet, it is not confidence in their own ability to keep themselves from failure. Instead, it is grounded in the reality of Jesus Christ and his spirit. We see this when we read, He who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Their ability to overcome comes from the one who is in them. Left on their own, they would be without any hope. But as it is, if Christ is in them, and further his spirit is in them, then they will certainly continue to overcome. This is a reminder for all of us. Christ conquered, and it is through his conquering we conquer as well. He who is able to forgive sins, who is a propitiation, who has annihilated the works of the devil, and who has taught and lived his own teachings, has shown himself to be the ultimate victor. Therefore, anyone who abides in him, and in whom he abides, 
will have victory. We then go on to verse 5. They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. John now focuses on those who are from or of the world. These individuals are ones who are influenced by the spirit of the Antichrist. They continue to live for the darkness rather than the light. They are opposed to Jesus, his word, and his messengers whom he has appointed to spread the gospel message to the ends of the earth. Because they do not originate from God, they speak from the world's perspective. They offer teachings contrary to Jesus because it is of the same mesh as the world itself. They allow doctrinal, ethical, and relational fallacies within their teachings, not because it reflects the wisdom of God through Christ, but the wisdom of the world of darkness. It should be of no surprise then to learn that those who belong to the world listen to these false teachers and the spirits from which the fallacies originate. Such individuals who are of the world welcome the message because it is exactly what they want to hear. It allows them to think, feel, and be who they want to be in light of who they are. So it is, John in verses 1 through 3 of this chapter focused on the false spirits. And in this verse, he continues that theme of knowing the difference between right and wrong, true and false. And it's by informing his readers where these false teachers and their messages originate. It does not originate from God. Instead, it originates, it comes from the world. And it is evidence that it does because the world accepts and receives them as their own. Because they are their own. Verse 6. We are from, the, we are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. In contrast to those who are from the world and originate from the world are those who are from God. There is some debate as to the we, or who the we is in this verse. Um, And that is, is John referencing all believers, or specifically the apostles and the disciples. It is likely that it is more specific to the disciples and the apostles who were first sent out to proclaim the message. Granted, this would naturally lead to those who accept the message and continue to proclaim in faith the message they received. It is a progression from the apostles to others. But the important point is not the apostles themselves, but where they originate, which is from or of God. Because of their origination from God rather than the spirits of the world, it is evident that those who know God would listen to the apostles' message, and subsequently, any who proclaim the same message they proclaimed. They will gladly accept and receive the message because they will recognize it is not from the individual, but from God himself. Such individuals who listen to the apostles and those who proclaim the same message as the apostles, can know the spirit of truth versus the spirit of error. In this way, it recognizes the schism which has occurred within these congregations. By listening to those who first proclaim the gospel and listening to their doctrinal, ethical, and relational teachings, they make themselves known to be in the truth, whereas those who do not are in the spirit of error. 
Now the main point. The main point of these three verses are to offer a second reflection after the spirits of evil presented in verses 1 through 3. Now, John's readers have further evidence to distinguish between those who are of God and the truth and those who are not of God and are in error and are encouraged in recognizing Christ and his spirits are greater than what the world may offer. And by his spirits, I mean his spirit. If they remain faithful to God, to the Father, to the Son, and the Holy Spirit, they can know that they have overcome and will overcome despite the struggles that may arise against them. Now this leads us to our first application point of the world. The evidence of the evil spirits and those whom these spirits influence is that they reflect the world itself. By application, we can know the difference between true teachers and false teachers, between those of God and those of the Antichrist, by their message and what they proclaim. Now this ultimately is piggybacking on the same theme we saw last week concerning those of God and those of the Antichrist. The evidence of such individuals is their doctrinal, ethical, and relational stances. Knowing these are vital to understanding who is of God and who is not of God. This understanding will allow us to maintain our faith in the truth rather than in error. So it is important for us to consider the false teachers of our own day. The more I discuss with everyone here, the more I recognize and am thankful for having this older congregation. Because as an older congregation, you remember things I have no knowledge of. In particular, you can look at society and you can look at Christianity as a whole and recognize how much things have changed, how doctrinal issues have changed, ethical issues have changed, relational issues have changed. This change did not come about overnight. It took many years for our societies within and without the church to begin having a change of mind about these issues. They began in the educational systems and slowly permeated throughout the rest of society until everything from our cultural outputs, such as things relating to art, uh, media, entertainment, have fallen sway to the Antichrist teachings found right here in 1 John. Once it started in the universities, then it slowly folded out into the different avenues until all of society was transformed. The last bastion, though, of strength has been the church. Unfortunately, even congregations who were once faithful to the gospel, to the doctrinal, ethical, and relational teachings of the scriptures, have begun to fall away or fall sway to the very relativity which now permeates the rest of society. Instead of being its own voice, many have simply begun to accept the culture's definition of what is good in these areas of doctrine, ethics, and relations. Whereas once we were able to look at doctrinal issues and stand firm together, now we are unsure what the majority of even our own denominational congregations believe. Likewise, when it comes to ethical standards on how lifestyles are to be maintained in accordance with the scriptures, we see many congregations accepting unacceptable and altogether unethical lifestyles when in comparison with the scriptures and church history as a whole. One can see how these things fall apart relationally. Instead of standing firm in our relation to Jesus Christ, 
and willing to abide in him until the end, many trade our relationship with God with relationship with the world in hopes of being liked by the world rather than caring much about God or his gospel. So Antichrist teaching has become more relevant kinds of teaching within even many of our congregations. Now many will think that such a statement is rather harsh. How is it that I, or any of us, can make such a bold statement concerning the congregations we see? I would argue for the same reason John is able to do so in today's scripture reading. We are able to know who is from God or of God, and who is not from or of God, by whether or not they remain faithful to what they had been taught by Christ through the apostles and from the apostles onward through the ages. When we begin to change our beliefs, when we begin to go against the teachings set forth by those who knew Christ and were sent by Christ and claimed to be of God, then we make one statement, and as that is that we do not believe that they truly were or from God. There is no middle ground here. Either we affirm their teachings or we reject their teachings. We cannot play the game of playing both fields between the Antichrist and the Christ. Yet, the only way we can know the difference and to know we are not in error is to know the truth. In order for us to know the truth, it requires us to study the scriptures and to seek understanding from God himself and through those God has given us in our congregation. Yet in these things we must be ready. We must equip ourselves to know even amongst our own congregation who is of God and who is not. And we can know this by knowing the scriptures. The world is crafty. It will trick us if it can. It will try to have us false way to doctrinal, ethical, and relational fallacies. The greatest encouragement for us is this, to remain faithful to the gospel presented to you. To understand it in doctrine and ethics and relationally with God and each other. Only in knowing the truth will we be able to differentiate between the truth and error. There are many in the world who are of the world. We are called to be in the world, but not of the world. We are called to be alive here and now without belonging to the world in which we live. We are sojourners in this land, trusting in God to lead us out of the desert and into the promised land. This desert has many pitfalls, many snares, and as I have said previously, many mirages to cause us to chase after them. They all look so nice, but they all will lead us to our demise. None of them are worth the cost. Though they have masks of life, their faces are of death. Too many congregations, too many individuals are falling for these fallacies. Too many are not recognizing that the very teachings which they are now teaching belong to the world and not to God. Let us, however, be strong. Let us stand together with linked arms, steadfast and courageous hearts, and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ as it was given to us by God himself. It was not invented by us, but given to us by God. Not an invention of the world, created by death for death, but given to us by God for life. I encourage you in these things. We have a tough foe to face. But we have hope, 
and we know we can trust the source of our hope, even if all the darkness should mount up against us. This leads us directly to our second point, and that is where our hope originates. It is true that the darkness is vast, and being mere mortals who have tasted death and sin, we know the power of this present darkness over the world, for we were once freely able to walk within it. Yet we have also experienced a great light in the darkness, and that is Jesus Christ. Therefore, above all others, we should have hope, knowing that though the power of evil is great, the power of Christ is greater. This is where our hope originates. It is not in the devil or the world. It's not in angels or even ourselves. It is in Christ Jesus who has conquered. We know that because he has conquered, all other victories are his too. Consider what Paul says in 1 Corinthians. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. We know that there will come a time when this last victory will take place. We know that death will not reign supreme forever. Instead, we know that because Christ has conquered in life, that eventually even death will be undone by the power of Christ. This is, as Paul says, the last victory to take place. And it is here we find our greatest hope. For we know that as Christ was raised from the dead into life, so are all those who are in Christ will be raised from death into eternal life. Oh, how this world would trick us into into a demoralizing state. It would convince our hearts we are no good. It would say to us over and over again we have no worth, that we are but specks in this great vastness of space, time, and chance. How easy it would be for the world to get us to fall back into the rhythm of sin. But for the grace and mercy of our God through his Son, Jesus Christ. On our own, we would easily fall back into such states. We in our own right have very little power compared to the vastness of this dark world. It knows us better than we know ourselves. It is stronger than we will ever be on our own. With our own power, the world of darkness would easily crush us. It knows all of our weaknesses. It is where we came from. And so it is unsurprising that this is the case. Yet we do not need to live in a state of failure. Nor are we to worry about the possibility of being overcome by the power of this dark world. For we know life. We have been bought. And we have been redeemed. We know the power of the one who is in us, who abides in us, because it has transformed us and will continue to transform us if we remain faithful to him.
Jesus Christ and his spirit are greater than all the world. And yet they abide in us. And we abide in them. It is for this reason Paul, at the end of the chapter we looked at previously in 1 Corinthians, says this. I tell you this, brothers. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. But we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable. This mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. This victory belongs to us also. We will be triumphant. But as Paul says in verse 57, But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. It is His victory, and it is such a great victory that all who belong to Him share in it. So remember where our hope originates. It does not originate from our ability to stand firm, but on the ability of Christ to stand firm. It is through Him we will overcome all powers of darkness. It is by Him we will be able to stand firm together against all evil. All that is required of us is faithfulness to Him. He has called us to follow Him doctrinally, ethically, and relationally. Seek these things. Know that to follow in these ways is to do the work of the Lord knowing that such labor is not in vain, as Paul says. This is the reminder for us as well. He is greater than the world to be able to stand against the world. This means that all the things that he taught in these areas of doctrines, ethics, and lifestyle, his relational teachings, are all greater than the world's. It is not that we lose when we follow Christ. We gain all of these things and more when we are obedient to the one who came. He is altogether greater than the world. His ways are greater than all the ways of the world. The life he has given to us is greater than the life the world could possibly offer us. So we offer our lives to Christ, the righteous one, in love. We give ourselves over to the one who is greater, knowing that all who remain faithful and steadfast in him will inherit eternal life. He is altogether greater than the world greater than the world in the life he gives, and mightier than the world in his power and his glory. So give yourselves over to Christ in all things. Live your lives for the power and the glory of God forever, knowing that victory belongs to those who seek and know his will. For they abide in him, and he abides in them. Now this leads us to the gospel. When we consider the atrocities in this world, when we consider the darkness 
that the world blankets over the human race. And we consider how easily deceptions can come. We continue to have hope in the knowledge of our God. We continue to remember that through him we have our greatest hope, and that is that our greatest victory comes not by our own hands, but by the power of Jesus Christ. How sweet is the victory of Jesus Christ, and how wonderful it is knowing he has accomplished it by his own hands. The gospel, his gospel, begins with our origins. In the beginning was God. He created this cosmos, the stars, the universe, by the power of his word. Last of all, he created humanity, though, to bear his image. It is because God is a God of love, reason, he knows, can be known, has personhood, morality, displays hesed. We can and we do as well. It is here, in the image of God, that we find sanctity, dignity, and worth to human life. Like God, however, we are also able to choose. We could either choose to follow God in obedience into life or sin into disobedience into death. We chose the latter and have continued to make that choice ever since. Because of this, our relationships with God, ourselves, each other, and the world are broken. It is because of our sin we continue to accrue this greater moral guilt before our God every day and not a feeling of guilt, but true guilt before a judge. Thankfully, God did not leave us in this darkness, in this state of sorrow forever. Instead, he sent his light and spoke his word into the darkness, and that was his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus lived, he died, and he rose again in time, space, history, and flesh. It wasn't a mirage, it was real. It is by his blood we are bought and redeemed, according to the law. It is through Christ that our relationships begin to be restored his victory in life over death becomes our victory in life and over death all that is required of us is two things the first is repentance we are not to live sinful lifestyles instead we are to live a repentant lifestyle which is characterized by seeking to glorify God in our lives We are to turn away from our sin and turn toward God. We are to live according to the will of God, which is made known to us through Christ and the scriptures, by which we can know to walk in step with the Spirit for the glory of God in love. The second is faith in Christ. While it is true that we are to live according to the glory of God, we also recognize our complete and our total dependence upon the Son of God for our salvation. It is not what we do or what we have done which saves us, but what Christ has done. We are saved by God's grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, according to the scriptures alone, for the glory of God alone. For those who remain disobedient in these things, in faith and repentance, there is only judgment. Even our greatest deeds are as filthy rags before our holy and just God. Therefore, They will face judgment for their sins if they do not repent and place their faith in Christ. For there is no salvation apart from Jesus. For those who are obedient, there is no longer condemnation. Instead, they are made sons and daughters of God Most High. They experience the love of God reserved only for Christ alone, His Son. They will be glorified and become co-heirs of an eternal kingdom 
where they will experience the peace of God forevermore. And that peace is something that we look forward to all the days of our lives. My hope is that we would be faithful to Christ in this dark age of ours. That we would continue to stand firm, courageous against the powers of evil and the powers of darkness that come in many forms. That we would trust in the gospel of Jesus Christ and cling to it more each day. Though this world assaults us on all sides, we know we have victory through Jesus Christ. He is altogether sufficient for our salvation, and the life he provides is beyond abundant. So give this life to him, and know that those who do will see the great victory over death, and will attain even eternal life. Amen. Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for the scriptures, we thank you for your word, but most importantly, we thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, who walks with us, who guides us, and in whom we have victory over all the forces of evil that rises against us. So Lord, please teach us, guide our hearts and our minds to be able to know truth from error and to be able to seek after your will above the will of the world. We thank you for all that you have done and we thank you for the power that you give us through your Son. And we give thanks especially that the one who is in us is greater than the one who is in the world. In your Son's name we pray. Amen. Please stand for our final hymn, How Great Thou Art. We'll sing one, two, and four.